Amen. That's what we're here to celebrate today. It's not, it's not uh, all the things we've done and, and this thing and that thing. We're here to celebrate the fact that for 50 years, God has been faithful to do a work in us and to do a work through us. 50 years ago, Pastor Thurman and, and some families from First Baptist Round Rock, they left the comfort and the, the, the normalcy of, of a nice building and, and the programs and the choir. And they, were, and they came because there was a work of God to be done in Pflugerville. Now, it's interesting, God's faithfulness doesn't just start with that story 50 years ago, because as we're celebrating 50 years of God's faithfulness today, First Baptist Round Rock, it's my understanding, is celebrating 175 years of God's faithfulness in that church. You don't, you don't know the name R.H. Uh, Talifero, but he and three other young men who were fresh out of seminary and exuberant and, and since the call of God understood the purpose and mission of God to go where the gospel was not, they were commissioned by the New York Baptist Mission Board to preach the gospel in the wilderness, and I quote, <laughs> and they were sent to Central Texas to plant what would ultimately be First Baptist Church, Round Rock, and if we had access to all the data in the history, we could just continue tracing that back and back and back and back, and the key theme the whole time would still be the same. God is faithful to do His work, and He is faithful to finish what He starts. And so here's what I want to do now that I, I realized earlier the choir was in the choir loft, and I wanted to wait till we were all ready together. Uh, I just want you to see the, the real example of what we're here celebrating today. If you happen to be in this room, uh, and I hope you are happen to be in this room if you're here. It'd be kind of scared if you're not. But if you're in the room today and you have come to faith in Christ as a result of the ministry of First Baptist Pflugerville, would you stand? Would you stand if somehow First Baptist Pflugerville has played a part in you coming to faith in Christ? You can sit. This is what we celebrate today, church family. It's that God's got a work to do in us. God's got a work to do through us, and He is faithful to start it, He's faithful to do it, and He's faithful to finish it. And as we look back and remember that, it takes us to a very specific place of Scripture. So I invite you, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. If you've got a pew Bible, the, the page numbers will be on the screen behind me. But Deuteronomy, chapter 8, go Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, or Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, as you're turning there, let me give you a little uh, context for where we're going to pick up. When you come to the book of Deuteronomy, the people of God have been delivered out of slavery in Egypt, and they have, they have experienced a few major victories over those who would oppose them. They've had some success in battle, but there's something in between those victories and the deliverance out of Egypt. They have been 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years living nomadically from their vantage point, wandering around an arid desert land where there's not enough food, there's not enough water. They, they are there as a consequence of their unbelief and therefore disobedience to enter into the promised land 40 years prior. And in that 40 years, God has been doing a work to raise up a new generation who will trust Him and take Him at His word. And here, after a few victories, they, they sit just across the Jordan River 
outside the promised land, and Moses is delivering his farewell address. He's giving them their final charge before he will die, and Joshua will take over in leadership. Moses, their leader, who's been with them for 40 years, giving them the last of what they need to know before they step in. And here's where we're going to pick up. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Moses speaking uh, on behalf of the Lord says, All the commandments I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give your forefathers. You shall remember all the way in which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandment or not. He humbled you. He let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Here's here's what he says. As, As the people wait outside, he says, here's what you need to know. All that I am commanding you today, you need to pay careful attention that you do it, that you carry it out so that when you enter into the land that I'm giving you, the land of my gift, it would be well with you. You would have life. You would would multiply that, that you would possess and have ownership of the land that you would experience to the fullness of everything I intend, everything God intends, the blessing of what is there. But it's contingent on what I've commanded you. Well, what has he commanded them? Well, thus far, he's he's given them a history lesson demonstrating how God brought them out of Egypt, the failure of their parents' generation to believe in the Lord. He's walked them through the recent victories. He's, he's walked them back through the Ten Commandments. He's given them instruction on how to deal with the idolatry that's in the land they're going into, on what to deal with marriage. But key to all of this is Deuteronomy 6, where in essentially summarizing all the commands of God, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, the one true God, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. You shall love the Lord your God with the entirety and the fullness of your being. And then he says, in this command, these words, you will bind them on your heart. You will talk about them in your coming and going. It is this love for God that you will pass down and speak to the subsequent generations. He says, pay attention. You need to love the Lord your God with all your being. Out of that love, heeding his every command and word, so that as you step in this land, you will experience the fullness of everything God intends for you to know and experience. And he says, and as you do that, you need to remember. As you step into that land, you need to remember. You need to remember that you were in a wilderness for 40 years. For 40 years, there was a consequence to your unbelief. There was a consequence for your disregarding the word of the Lord. But in this wilderness, in spite of your rebellion, in spite of your failure, you need to remember that God is faithful to lead. Did you see it? You shall remember the way in which the Lord your God has led you, which He's guided and directed you, the connotation being that the Lord was not far off, but was present with them at all times in the wilderness, that far from wandering, He was directing them, leading them, putting them. He was guiding them no matter how they felt, no matter 
if they felt abandoned, no matter how we described it, the wilderness wanderings, make no mistake, Israel never wandered. They were under the sovereign hand of God, guiding them faithfully every step of the way in the wilderness. He said, you need to remember that God was faithful to guide you in the wilderness. He is being faithful to lead you into the promised land. And there will never be a moment in the blessing of the promised land where he does not lead and guide you because he is faithful. As you need to remember that God is faithful to lead you in the wilderness. He, he says, you need to remember that he's faithful to provide. He said, your clothing did not wear out. God gave you manna. Your foot did not swell. That despite Despite the cowardice of the, the, the first generation and the, the waiting of the, the second generation to grow up, God was faithful the whole time to provide for their needs. He provided food, manna, divine food from heaven. He provided clothing that didn't wear out. That's remarkable. I've got a few pieces of clothing still left from college about 15 years ago, and my wife hates them because they've got holes in them. They've worn out. These Israelites have pieces of clothing from 40 years ago. By the way, for perspective, that's 1983. Do you have any clothes from 1983 that have yet to worn out? That God's provided. God's provided clothing. God's provided physical stamina. Never in all of this 40 years of nomadic living have your feet swelled. We'll see from later on in the chapter, there were dangers they faced, and God provided protection and healing. We know from... Even though they were living nomadically, he provided tents to dwell in, shelter. He provided for what they needed. He says, remember, remember God is faithful to lead, God is faithful to provide. He says, remember, God is faithful to refine you. He says, he, he says remember that he, 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 brought, he led you in the wilderness that he might humble you. He was testing you. Humbling speaks of taking one who is puffed up high with pride, with self-dependence, and bringing them low, bringing them and bringing, taking them to a point where they realize and see their weakness, their inability, their lack of power, of might, and glory. The humbling process for Israel, he says, he, he brought you into the wilderness to humble you, and he let you know hunger. The humbling process for Israel was not easy. It was not, we need to resist the urge to, to dress it up and make it sound. It meant he allowed his people to experience the hardship of hunger. We know from the stories in Exodus that they would go throughout go throughout their time in the wilderness and they would have a lack of water and a lack of food and they'd complain and grumble, and, and ultimately they would have to turn to the Lord to provide. He brought them low. He tested them. The idea of testing is to, to discover the true nature of what's in one's heart. It's, it's to expose the good and the bad. It's to identify if there's imperfections and faults. The aim of God's test was to see with, with the people of Israel, with this new generation, would they honor Him at His Word, or would they reject His Word? as their parents did. We know the testing process of, and humbling process of allowing them to be hungry. It, it put them in a situation where God provided this manna from heaven, and there were strict rules. You could go out every morning, and this manna would be there. You could gather only what you and your family needed for that day. 
If, if, it got, if it came into your mind, well, I don't know. What if God's not faithful tomorrow? What if this doesn't show up tomorrow? Let's grab a little extra just in case. He said, it'll rot. The worms will come and eat it because you're going to learn to trust that I am who I say I am, that I care for you the way I care for you, and that you're going to do what I say, how I say, because I am God and I am good. It was a test. What's in their hearts? Will they take him at his word? Will they not? He needs, despite of their sin, we find that God is faithful to do his refining work. He says, remember. But he also says this. He says, no. He says, no, that God was disciplining you as a man disciplines his son. Well, that's an interesting statement. To discipline carries two different connotations. A lot of times when we think of discipline, we think of what we might call correction. Correction, where somebody's out of line and, and you've got to correct them. Uh, we're learning all sorts of that kind of discipline in my house as my toddler is more and more becoming a true toddler. But there's another side of discipline that we forget, and it, it, it's in the definition. The other side of discipline is not correction when someone steps out of line. The other side of discipline is training. It's out of a desire to see someone walk in maturity. It's preparing someone. I liken it this way. There, there was nothing fun. Sometimes in high school playing football, there were times we ran because we were out of line. But every practice we ran, not because we had done anything wrong, but because the coaches had a desire that we would be prepared for the actual game. It was training, instruction, preparation, bringing someone into maturity. He says, God is what God has been doing. He's been disciplining you. There's things that need to be corrected. There's things that need to be instructed. And he's disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Because when you and I go throughout Scripture, Proverbs 3 says, My son, don't reject the discipline of the Lord who is disciplining you, or loathe his reproof. For the Lord loves the one he reproves. Hebrews 12 will repeat it and said, Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So catch it when he says, you need to know, you need, as you step into this new season, you need to remember God's faithfulness, you need to know his discipline. What he's saying is you need to know that God loves you. He's loved you this entire time in the wilderness. He loves you as he's preparing you to move in, and he will love you forevermore. It is his love that drives the discipline you are experiencing. You need to know he loves you, and you need to know and understand in your heart that there is only one way to move forward, and it is complete dependence upon the Word of God alone. Did you see what he says? He, he's humbled you, he's tested you, he's loving you in discipline. And he says there at the end of verse 3 that you might understand, that you might know in the core of your being that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Listen, he says to Israel, there are many schemes man can come up with to secure bread. But bread will not ultimately give you life. Life is found by you hearing, heeding, and honoring the word of the Lord, the word I have given you, alone. So he says, in light of this, look with me, verse 6, Therefore, in light of this truth, in light of the fact that I have been faithful to, to lead you, in light of the fact that I'm faithful to provide, in light of the fact that I've been faithful to refine you, in light of, in light of the knowledge that I love you, in light of the knowledge that, that life, that man does not live by bread alone, but by my every word, therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God. 
to walk in his ways and to fear him. Therefore, in light of this, you're going to heed the word of God. And as you heed the word of God, it's going to look like walking, a consistent, steadfast, daily action. You're going to walk with the Lord and fear him. The key to walking with the Lord and fearing him, to have the right kind of awe and respect, reverence, and awe-filled love for God is the heeding of the Word of God. Therefore, commit to, to, to live out my commandments. Commit to do what the Word of the Lord says. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity and you will not lack anything. A land whose stones are iron and whose hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good that he has given you. Here's what he says. He says, you've, you've spent 40 years in an arid desert land with a scarcity of food, with hard... I'm taking you to a land that will have, you will have no lack of anything. He'll say elsewhere in the chapter, all the work that I have been doing, the work of taking you in the wilderness, the work of refining you, the work of providing for you, the work of loving, all, all that I have been doing is ultimately for your good. He says, you're going to enter into the land, and when you've gotten into that land, not only are, do you need to heed my word, but as you've gotten into that land and you experience the satisfaction of my blessing, don't you forget to thank me. Now, I want to be clear, church family, as we walk through this passage. For Israel, God was leading them into a very literal, material, promised land. They were leaving a very literal wilderness where they experienced the wilderness both spiritually and physically. And they were coming into a real promised land that was beautiful and, and plentiful where they would be blessed, where they would have. And I don't want to be clear today because the situation that God was leading the, the people of Israel to in Deuteronomy 8 while there's much that applies to us today, there is a difference. The promised land for those of us in Christ today is something we have in part but not yet in full. The promised land that God has for us today is not health, wealth, and prosperity in this world. The promised land that God has for us today is a reconciliation in relationship with God. It's having peace with God in Christ Jesus. It's the ability out of that peace to have a right relationship with others, especially in the church, to have a right relationship with creation, to even have a restored and correct relationship with ourselves because sin broke all of those relationships. And it all flows out of being restored to God. It's the promised land that we experience today is the forever sealing the presently indwelling, the always empowering work of the Holy Spirit who is producing in us and through us a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Does that life not sound like a promised land in comparison to what this world offers? It's a life where we are given the position of sons and daughters. We're not just in the court of God. We're seated at His table co-heirs with Christ. We're given a position, not just in, that, in, in the heavenlies, but here in this world as royal ambassadors, charged with the ministry of reconciliation to a lost, fallen, rebellious, broken, dying world. We've been given a mission, a purpose, 
And ultimately, our promised land, while we taste these things in part today, our promised land is that land that is coming when Christ returns. It's that new heaven and and new earth. It's that land that will be our eternal home where there is no more sin, no more brokenness, no more pain, no more sorrows, no more tears, no more goodbyes, no more tension. Instead, it'll be a land where, where we are at home in the fullness of His presence and His glory forever and always. This is our promised land. Now, I specify this, church family, because as we walk through this passage here in a second, I don't know what tomorrow holds for us as a church. We're here today to celebrate 50 years of God's faithfulness. And it could be easy to come in and go, and and, and the best days are yet to come. And in one sense, that's true, because God's not done with us. But in another sense, I can't promise that. The hardest days in the history of our church may be in front of us. We may be entering a land of blessing where God's about to do new things through us. We may be entering a whole new wilderness. We may not be entering the wilderness. He could lead us somewhere even more frightening, the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know, and I can't promise that as pastor. But what I can promise is what he tells us to remember and know. What I can promise is what he tells us to remember and know. He tells us that he is faithful with us in the wilderness. He's faithful uh, faithful to lead us into, to guide us around, to lead us out of the wilderness. We know Psalm 23, it's he who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. We know it's he who takes us into a land where there's prosperity, fruitfulness. It's God who's faithful to lead. Church family, There is never a time when any one of us in Christ, individually or us corporately, are alone or abandoned. He is with us always, no matter what we feel. And there's a very real sense in which the Christian life in this world is a wilderness. But understand something, church family. The wilderness of God is a tool of God. Though it's a place of hardship and it can take a long time, God's not in a rush. He's going to do the work He started in us right. Even though the wilderness is a desert land filled with fiery uh, serpents and scorpions, it's a lack of food and a lack of water and a nomadic lifestyle, it frustrates our plans and breaks our dreams. It doesn't fit our expectations. Instead, we find our weaknesses exposed, our insecurities, prides, and faults revealed. But it is a place of His faithfulness and loving kindness. It's a necessary place. It's a good place. It's a God place, and He won't waste a single moment of it. And whether we find ourselves in the wilderness today or we find ourselves moving into the land of plenty, understand He is faithful to lead and to guide. He is also faithful to protect and provide. He knows what we need. He does not bring us into a wilderness to die, even if it feels like we're dying to us. He didn't bring Israel into the wilderness to leave them. He brought Israel into the wilderness to prepare them. He protects them. He protects us from that which would truly destroy us. But He doesn't protect us from His humbling and testing and refining, His discipline. In fact, He exposes us to that because He loves us. 
He provides for that which we truly need. Church family, in the days to come, we, we could tell story of story of story of days past of ways that God has demonstrated His faithfulness when we never saw it coming, and even when we were looking, God has been faithful to provide. And there is no question in the character of God as to whether or not in the days to come He will continue to be faithful to provide. He will be. He says, remember, I'm faithful to lead, I'm faithful to provide. He's faithful to refine us. He humbles us, He breaks us, He tests us, He allows that humbling to expose good or bad. That, that happens in our lives. Maybe you find yourself in a season where you are just stretched. Maybe God's breaking us of some self-reliance where we have to learn His grace is sufficient and that his provision is better than our solution. Maybe he's bringing us into a season where he's testing and exposing some idolatry. Maybe we're in a season of loneliness. Now, not all seasons of loneliness are due to this reason, but sometimes God does take us into seasons of loneliness so that our faith won't rest upon our friends but upon him. There's lots of ways we might find ourselves. We can find ourselves there as a church, walking through seasons where the budget is tight, walking through seasons where, where changes are inevitable, walking in seasons when insults are hurled, and the question becomes, will we remember that He is faithful to refine us, that He is faithful to lead us? Will we follow Him at His word or cling to our preferences and traditions? It's both true in our lives individually and our lives corporately. He is faithful to purify us, to strengthen us. As we walk in humble faith, our roots in Jesus grow deep. He's faithful. We must remember. We need to know God's loving kindness. Church family, God, God is faithful to love us no matter what land we find ourselves in. And if we find ourselves in the wilderness, it's a sign, guess what? That He loves us. The fact that we're brought out of the wilderness is a sign of the fact that He is faithful to His covenant. Whether we're in the wilderness because He's instructing us or He's testing us or He's correcting us, we can know and rest with certainty. He loves us. His love is never in the question, never in question. The cross is greater than any wilderness, and the cross is more a blessing than any prosperity. And the one who hung out of love for us on the cross, what did he do first in his ministry? Went into the wilderness and overcame every temptation we fall into. Take heart. My peace I give you, not as this world gives peace. Take heart, for I have overcome the world, says Jesus. We need to remember that he is faithful. Faithful to lead, faithful to provide, faithful to, to refine. We need to know that He loves us, and we need to know that there's no way to move forward other than heeding His Word, eating His food, and offering up the right, the right incense. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? L look at the passage. He says, all the commandments I'm commanding you, be careful to do. Uh, verse 1, verse 6, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord God. And what's the key for doing that? Well, it comes out in verse 4. I, I've been testing and refining you that you may understand you don't live by bread alone. You don't live by the quality of the building, church. You don't live by the amazingness of your pastors. You don't live by the size of the people. You don't live by what things you see. You live alone by the Word of God. 
And when you understand that life and life alone is found nowhere else in the Word of God, and it produces, as you submit to the faithful, refining work of God, you submit. You submit to His Word. You, you honor His command. What's His command? We saw this several weeks ago. The church in Ephesus. Here's a church. Church in Ephesus. It's doing everything from our vantage point right, yet Jesus looks down and says, you've lost what? Your love. We can be more in love with our ministry, more in love with our preferences, more in love with our traditions, more in love with our lifestyle than love Jesus. What is the command? What is the command we're to follow to love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? When he says, be careful to do the command, the call is to love God. Jesus would expand and say, and after that, out of that love, love your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy 6 tells us to take that love, to meditate, and to talk about God at all times. The command is not to do our will for God. It's not to keep things the way we want them. It's not to live in nostalgia. And yesterday, the command is to love Him fully. And if we love Him fully, then we do His Word morally, ethically. Then we do His Word missionally. Church family, if we love God, we have to be moved by the fact that more and more our community is more and more lost. And we don't exist here to be a country club of exclusive elites in this world. We exist to go out in that community and to shine the light of the Lord and declare the goodness of His gospel that anyone may respond. But it's got to come out of love. We eat His food. His, what's His sustenance? The Word of God. What does that mean, church family? It means that just as we have and in the days to come, we must all the more stand where He stands as revealed in His Word. It means we must trust what He says because He is faithful and true. It means we obey what He says, worship, because He is the almighty sovereign God who alone is worthy. Understand, if we really eat off of His food, we don't live off yesterday's provision. God provided for Israel in the wilderness manna in a very unique way. It says in the text, your fathers didn't know this, meaning there was no precedent for this. They, they hadn't seen an example already. They had to trust God at His Word. If you keep going with the story as they go into the promised land, God will continue to provide, but He doesn't provide any more manna. He's going to provide in different ways. How God works is going to change because God is great. He can work in a lot of different ways. The key it's not how God's going to choose to work. It's what His Word says. Church family, there's ways God has worked in our past and amongst us in the, in the past. We celebrate those. But let us not mistake how God's chosen to work in the past or how He must work in the future. Instead, let us understand God promised to work back here. That's why it worked. And God's promised to work over here. So let's commit ourselves not to is he going to give us manna today? But how has God said he's going to move today? Let's commit ourselves to the word. As they move forward, at times God would do something crazy and say, I'm going to deliver you in battle, but you don't need to raise any weapons. You just need to get up every day and take a lap around the city, get your steps in. And on the last day, you need to go seven times, and, and, then, and then you need to make sure you've got the Aggie band with you and blare their horns. And after the horns blare, everybody just scream. And I'll tear the whole city down and you'll win. That's the most ridiculous battle plan you've ever heard in your life. But that's how God chose to provide at Jericho. 
There'd be battles after Jericho where he wouldn't do that. He'd say, get your, sh- get your swords. You're going to have to run into that battle. You're going to hear the metal clanging of swords. You're going to have to dodge spears and throw spears. You're going to have to raise shields, but I will give you victory. Over here, I provided manna that you just got up and found every day. Here in the promised land, you're going to have to work the fields. And if you honor my words, you'll find success. Because I alone am faithful to provide the key here is will you live by every word that I give? Fifty years ago, church family, ten people were willing to live the safety and personal preferences of an established church to come out to a new community for the glory of God, out of love for God. Will we be willing to continue to do the same? Or now that we have our castle, will we just board up the walls? Israel was given no option to stay in the wilderness. God called them to move forward. God gives us no option. Listen, there is nobody more nostalgic than me. I love remembering great things from the past. But God hadn't called us to live in the past because you can't live in the past. God has called us to live in the present as he moves us into the future. And if we do that, we've got to do it by the word of God. And as we do it by the word of God, as we experience the fullness of his blessing, we give thanks. We recognize that any, any fruit that comes out of our lives and our church, it's not as a result of us. It's all out of a result of him. Now, why is all this important? Why is it important that we remember God's faithfulness, that we know his loving kindness, and we depend upon him at his word? Because there is a very real danger as we come to the end today. Look what he says in verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you've eaten and are satisfied and you've built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud. You will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. He who led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and its scorpions and and thirsty ground where there was no water. He who brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness, he who fed you manna which your fathers didn't know, there was no precedent for, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good for you in the end." Otherwise, you might say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you your power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers It is as it is this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God. And you go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today, you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish, because you would not listen to the voice, the word of the Lord your God. Interestingly enough, when you get to verse 11 and he says, beware, that is the first command in the entire passage. He says, beware. You need, you need to be on guard. You need to keep watch over. Not beware because you need to live in fear, but you need to have a clear understanding. You need to have a clear knowledge that it is possible as the people of God to receive the good things in the blessing of, of God, yet grow proud and forget that he is after our complete dependence and, and 
in total worship. He says, do not forget the Lord your God. Do not stop remembering, meaning there is a volitional choice. You and I don't just happen to forget God one day. There's choices we make to ignore God. And here's the reality. Forgetting God doesn't mean you you somehow forget He is. Listen, Israel never forgot God exists. There's not a point in the Old Testament where Israel goes, where Israel steps out of line and God comes back and corrects them and they go, oh, wow, God, we forgot you were in the, the pantheon of gods we could worship. They never forgot God's existence. What they forgot, you notice what he said, don't forget God by not heeding his word. There is a temptation in the experience of God's provision and blessing as a follower of Christ, saved by grace through faith. There is a temptation as an individual and as a church as we step in and God allows things, fruit to flow, things that there is a danger, church family that we forget that it is all and always from Him. And the word from the text is take precaution lest you do there. Forgetting God looks like failing to walk in His ways. At His word, not forgetting His existence in our rituals. Forgetting God looks like pride. He says, lest you, you think when you see all this, it's by my power, by my strength, that this has come. It's by our creativity ministerially. It's by, the, it's by my hard work that this... Forgetting God looks like pride. Forgetting God looks like the worship of other gods that starts with the idol of self-love. Ultimately, forgetting God, church family, is not living as if we forget who He is. It's living life in a way that is not in line with his word. It's to live as if he makes no tangible difference on my life. We must not think that if we simply know Jesus exists and he loves us, oh, we're good. Knowing Jesus loves me is fruitless knowledge if it doesn't alter every drop of my life. How many people, church family, and how many churches know the right words and the right rituals, but live as if they're truly something special in the sight of God? Now, don't miss, we're all special in the sight of God is precious. What I mean is, they look at themselves, they look at their work, they look at their ministry, they look at the fruit, and they go, man, I'm something great in the kingdom. There's only one who is great in the kingdom, church family. His name is Jesus. He's the Christ. It's by His grace that we have what we have, that that we do what we do, but there is a great temptation. Listen to what He says. He says to the church, He says to the people of Israel, if you walk in this way, you will perish. Now understand something, church family. Jesus was clear. His church will never lose because He empowers His church. But we saw it with the church in Ephesus. He said, if this isn't repented and corrected, I will remove your lampstand. Now, let me say this clearly. God's church will persevere. But a local church 
can forget God by failing to take Him at His word, by failing to remember His faithfulness, by failing to know His loving kindness. A church can begin to forget God and to start to walk in pride and in self-reliance. They still talk about God and they still do the right rituals. Understand, church family, God can and will allow a local congregation to die. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need First Baptist Pflugerville to reach Pflugerville. But God does want First Baptist Pflugerville to be filled with His power and His grace, to be completely dependent upon His Word, and to step out with a love, joy, and peace this world is, ca cannot offer and provide, and to step out into our community and to use us for eternity. The question is not Will God be faithful? The question is not, does God love? The question is not, will He be true to His Word? The question is, will we remember? Will we know? Will we depend? Reality is, most of us in this room will probably not be here when this church celebrates 100 years. But if the Lord tarries and there's a hundred year anniversary, what will the story be that day? Will the story be of a church that started well, but along the way forgot her Lord and began to depend upon self? Or will the story be of a church who with each and every passing year re-submitted, re relayed themselves before the Lord through the, whom the Lord shined greatly and mightily? Listen, God was faithful to start a work in our midst 50 years ago. He is faithfully doing that work today. And if we will remember and know and heed His Word, He will faithfully continue that work through this church. And don't forget, in all of our lives, if you're in Christ, He started a good work. He's doing a good work. And Paul is clear to the church in Philippi. He who started a good work will absolutely bring it to completion. Let's finish the race. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you. You are worthy. You are holy. You are mighty. You and you alone know uh, where each and every person in this room is at right now. Those who are watching online and Holy Spirit, as I have already prayed, Lord, may our hearts be soft to respond to you. May we worship you in a humble, surrendered, and willing response, whatever that may be. If that's for someone in this room who, who does not have a relationship with you, Jesus Christ, we would love to help them meet you today. If that's someone in this room who says, I want to be a part of what God is doing here, we'd love to help them on, on the process of joining the church. If that's someone who just needs prayer, Lord, you know, may people, may we as, as people respond, Lord, to you. Jesus, we look to you, and it's in your name I pray.